Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Well, welcome to week one of a series called Chasing the Lion. Um, there's a book written by a guy named Mark Batterson. He's a pastor uh, in the D.C. area uh, called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And uh, the recommendation of a good buddy of mine, I read this book a few years ago, and uh, I couldn't wait to preach it. It's one of those things where I, like, I would have done it three years ago. And, uh, but I, I believe that now in this season that we're in is when God wants this message spoke to our church. And so I'm pumped about what we're going to learn together and how we're going to apply it. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn them to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel 23. Now, if you're a guest around here, man, we are so glad you're here tonight. And thank you for taking a part of your weekend and spending it in worship with us and uh, taking a part of your Saturday night and uh, hanging out with us. We are so glad that you're here. And our hope for today is that you connect with God in a real way and that he radically changes your life and he sets you on course to do great things for him. So let's read in 2 Samuel chapter 23. It says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehudiah, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. That cat had it rough in kindergarten, right? Trying to write his name. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, and won a name besides the three mighty men. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are a good father. Thank you that we get to worship you freely. Thank you for all that you are doing in our lives and all that you are going to do. And we just make much of you. Father, I pray that you would move today, that uh, I would speak the words that you want me to speak and that they would fall on good soil. And Father, I also pray for the Cincinnati Bengals. It has been 25 years since we won a playoff game. If you could do something about that today, in Jesus' name, amen. All of that was uh, pray for pray for the Bengals while I'm preaching. I think they're going to start kicking off here in just a little bit. You know, the, one of the things that drives me nuts about Christians is we just think things in the Bible are okay. Like we read them and we don't say, hey, that's weird. Or we read it and we say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Now, I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. I don't believe that there is any errors in it. I believe that everything that God wants us to know about himself, he put in his word for us to understand Everything that God wants us to know about ourselves, I believe he put it in his word. But this is one of those stories. So I want to kind of paint some context. There's a, a man it was a, 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 that was called out of a, a, a place called Ur. And God says he's going to be with him and he's going to bless him. And God says that he's going to have children as numerous as the stars. And then he says that from this man there's going to be a king born. This king's going to be a big deal. And then from that king, the Bible said, was a guy named David, said that God's, he was a man after God's own heart. From that king was going to be birthed this, this person called the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he would come out of this king's lineage. 
And so in 2 Samuel, we find this story, to put it in context, is we are learning about this guy named David. He was a king. And the men that surrounded him, they were known as the mighty men of David. And what's the cool thing about them is, man, they were scoundrels. I mean, these dudes were thugs. They were pirates. They robbed. They stole. I mean, as you read the story of these guys that God surrounded David with to one day sit as the king of Israel, uh, these are some dudes you would want with you on a dark night in an alleyway. Benaiah happens to be one of, it says he found himself among one of the three. The three closest guys of David would have done anything for him. Some of the things that the Bible records that they did, those are boys that you would love to have in your life all of your life because when things get tough, they're going to be there with you. And Benaiah is one of them. So we see this story. This guy, this is what Scripture tells us. We don't get a lot of detail. For whatever reason, he decides to chase down a lion. It's not okay. Like reading them, like who does that? And who does that when really the odds are stacked against them? Who's going to say, hey, I'm going to chase down a lion even when it's snowing? Not only that, but then I'm going to chase it down inside a pit and kill it. Now I have no idea what this lion did. But apparently, Benaiah needed to take care of this. And so we read this story, and this is what I want us to ask. How do we become lion chasers? That's what I want you to ask yourself over the next few weeks as we break apart this story and as we look at different characteristics of Benaiah. How do you and how do I become lion chasers? Is there a lion in your life? Like, is there really something that you are afraid to tackle? Or maybe there's something that God's called you to do, but you keep putting it on the back burner. This year, as your pastor, I beg you to chase that lion. Now, I'm not going to just tell you to do something. I want to teach you how. And so this is what I want us to understand. How do we become lion chasers? It's something that nags at you. Something that you want to finish. And some of you have muffled this voice of this lion for so long, you can barely hear it anymore. And for others of you, as soon as I say those words, what lion do you need to chase? You know exactly what the Holy Spirit wishes you to do. So step one to becoming a lion chaser is to live without fear. According to psychologists, there's over 500 different types of fears and phobias. The most exhaustive list I could find is a few years old. It's 530 different types of fears and phobias. So we're going to play a game. This is called participatory, okay? You're going to help me out, all right? So I need you to raise your hand if you have this fear. Don't lie. Be honest. It's okay. No one around here is going to judge you except for me later. Number one. The most popular fear is arachnophobia. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Let me see your hands. Why do they exist, right? Like when I get to heaven, two things, mosquitoes and spiders. What's up, man? Seriously. What was that about? Uh, the second thing that most people are afraid of is the fear of snakes. Anybody snakes? Yes. Who wants to mess with a snake? No, thank you. Check. Please, the third most popular, or however you want to put this, popular phobia to have is actually the fear of heights. I don't do well in heights, right? Him afraid of heights? 
my leg starts to shake. It took my boys climbing. Uh, I was a hundred foot in my old, my daughter, a hundred foot cliff, and we're belaying or whatever it's called off of it. I flipped completely, almost down. I almost died. Uh, Holy Spirit sent His angels in to rescue me. And uh, but on that day, the rest of the day, my leg was shaking every time I was going over. I'm afraid of heights. I don't even know. God wanted us that He would have given us wings, right? People are also afraid of difficult situations. How many of you are getting afraid whenever you're in a situation you don't think you can escape? Like crowds, you're like, oh my Lord, tight spaces, how am I going to get out of here? How many of you are afraid of dogs? This is number five. That's right, a bunch of saved people in this house. You should be afraid of cats. Cats are straight from the pit of hell. That should be number five, and instead it's dogs. People, people, unsaved people took this poll. Dogs. Number six, number six is the fear of thunder and lightning. Anyone? My wife loves a good storm. I'm like, why? It's loud. I want to sleep. Number seven, any needle fears? Fear of injections. Yes. Yes, fear of needles. Hallelujah. All right. Number eight is the fear of social situations. How many just love to say, I don't want to speak in public? No, thank you. No, thank you. Speaking in public. And number nine is the fear of flying. Which is like, I don't blame you. Although I do feel safe in a plane. And then number 10, most popular phobia or fear is called misophobia. How many of you in here are afraid of germs and dirt? Can I get an amen? Yes, none of you wash your hands. You are those people in the bathroom that leave. See, this is one of mine. Like, I would carry sanitizer with me all the time. I don't even know if it does any good, but I would carry it with me. And according to our Facebook poll, which I know is extremely scientific, okay... But most people that took our poll were afraid of failure. Failure. It haunts us. Now fear is a funny thing. Because fear, um, it can become paralyzing. Where you don't do anything. And there's something else that's subtle, probably more subtle about fear. Fear oftentimes will give us a false sense of security and safety. Well, if I just don't take that risk, and what we don't realize is that risk that we're not willing to take is really fear. Fear is a funny thing. You know, uh, uh, my son was born this week, early in this week. That's why mom is not here tonight. Yeah, they're at home, resting. And I'm, I'm holding him in the hospital, and I'm looking at him, and I know I want to talk about, you know, tonight. And I'm, You know, he's born with two fears. Two. And I'm holding him in my arms and he's so small and I forget that, you know, although they're like 14 months old, I forget that they're this small. And um, I looked at him and I, I was praying over him and I said, buddy, you know, you're only afraid of two things. You're only afraid of two things. And I want to make you unafraid of one. Scientists say that you were born with two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That's it. And yet, many of us live our life in fear. We pass it off as, I'm being conservative. I'm being safe. I'm being secure. And we don't realize what fear. So this is good news. That means fear is learned. That means you've seen somebody else make that mistake. Or you've seen somebody else miss out on that investment. Or you saw somebody else start that business and fail. You saw, And so that fear, right, is, it's a learned fear. I've never been bitten by a snake. I've seen people who have, right, on like YouTube. And so I'm afraid of snakes, right? 
It's a learned fear. It's probably a wise fear. But the beautiful thing about that, if every one of your fears and my fears are learned, that means that they can be unlearned. And so tonight, I want us to unlearn our fears. I want us to decide that we will no longer live in fear, but we will live. You know, when we were talking about naming this church, before the church had a name, we wanted it to be a place where people could come that maybe didn't necessarily like church or think church was for them and, and allow them to be in a place that they could call home. But I was reading a book with a buddy and I kept this word audacious kept coming up. And so I looked at it and audacity by definition is this boldness or daring with reckless disregard for personal safety or conventional thought. I think all Christians should live audaciously. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that, the only way you and I are going to be able to do that as Christians is to unlearn our fears. There's a guy named A.W. Tozier, a big fan of his. He wrote a book in 1950. He's a pastor in the 1950s in Chicago. And this is what he says about fear. He says, fear causes me to look around at my circumstances instead of looking up at the smiling father. See, a lot of times we take our eyes off God. We see everything else. And that's when fear kicks in. So how do we unlearn fears? How do we become lion chasers? If you take notes, and I hope that you do, you should write this down. Number one, faith is the process of unlearning your irrational fears. First Peter puts it this way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here's what we have to do. We have to be courageous. I'm not saying that what we got to do is going to be easy. I'm not saying that unlearning your fears is going to come naturally and it's going to be easy. But we have to be courageous. This is one of the things. We, um, courage is often putting yourself in a defenseless position. Some people think meekness is a weakness. The Bible said that Moses was the meekest man that ever walked the face of the earth. That cat wasn't weak. In order for us... To unlearn our rational fears, I think we have to live courageously and I think we have to do whatever we can to be meek and understand that Jesus is always in control. As a Christian, you and I must confidently put our protection under God. When anxiety does come, and it probably will, you have to hand it over to Him. This is where Christians stumble. This is what we do with our anxiety. We say, God, I'm giving this to you in prayer, right? We have a spirit field. I mean, we pray for an hour. We hand everything over to God. We get up. We're ready to take on the world. And what do we do? We take that problem that right back that we just gave him. I'm going to carry it around today. Just to, I'll give it back to you tomorrow morning. And this is what we do. We live in fear in the, most of the time, if not all of the time, it's irrational. If God is who he says he is, then our fears are irrational. It's a part of us walking out our faith, right? It's not easy. It's going to be a struggle. But yet we cling so tightly to things that we say we handed over to God. Is that just me? And what that does is it really prevents us from chasing our lion. We have to walk in faith. And faith is the process of us unlearning our irrational fears. Do you believe that God wants you to get 
Where, do you believe that God wants you to be where you want to be just as bad as God wants you to be there? And I wrote this down and it was like a tongue twister. And here, here, let me do, do you believe that God wants you to get where God wants you to more than you want to get where God wants you to go? No, we don't. We pretend like God's holding us back. We pretend like God's stacking the deck against us. Let me explain to you what Ephesians says. I'm going to unpack a verse for you. Ephesians chapter 10 says this. Chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared. Everyone say prepared. Beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, prepared in advance to do the will of God. Do you know that the word prepared there is derived from a word of a a king sending out his servants so that he could lead them to safe passage? So basically, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has prepared, He has sent out for you works that He wants you to accomplish. And what is it? He's sending it out. He's prepared them in advance. And He said that there's going to be safe passage. God's gone ahead of you to prepare the way. And some of us are idly sitting in irrational fears instead of chasing the call of God that He has on our life. I want you to notice, I didn't say it was going to be easy passage. The Bible says safe. That's what He's prepared those. It's a safe passage for you and I. Notice I didn't say uh, uh, perfect. Although you know a lot of times we would like for it to be perfect. Notice I didn't say easy I said that God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. When He used that word, I believe He used it intentionally for you and I. We have to learn to walk in confidence of who God is. When it comes to God, there are no degrees of difficulty. Right? To the the one who's infinite, when it comes to finite things, there's no equal. Scripture teaches us that nothing is too hard for God. You know, you can hear it in my prayer life. Maybe not yours. But sometimes when I pray for big things, I'm like, if you can find the time. If you have the resources. If you're not too busy this week. And instead of believing that God is truly God and nothing is impossible for Him, I pray sometimes differently and it's embarrassing. So the first thing that we have to do in order to become liar chasers, in order to live without fear, is we have to understand that walking in faith, faith is, is a process of us unlearning our irrational fears. The second thing, you want to write this down. How you think of God will determine who you become. Romans chapter 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. We have to take hold of our thought life. We have to control our thought life. In Proverbs it says this, and this is the New King James Version, For as he thinks within himself, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. How are you thinking? What, 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 are, you, what are you allowing your mind to meditate on? 
Because the Bible says, as you think, so you are. Do you see yourself as a lion chaser? Or do you really feel that? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you see yourself as God sees you? As the apple of his eye? Do you see him as he sees you? I love Psalms 42 because I, I, I love when the Bible uh, shows me, gives me a glimpse into somebody that's having a, a, a struggle. And this is what David says. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. How are you thinking? Like whenever you think about how God looks at you, do you think He looks at you as beloved? Do you think that you're an inconvenience? Do you think that, oh, you know what, I, I just, I'm, 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 not, I'm not one of them. I'm not like Him. I'm not, what, what is your thought life? Do you see yourself as a conqueror? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Or do you allow yourself to live in fear instead of chasing the lion that God has before you? Chasing a lion is audacious. It's probably a bit crazy. But I think it's necessary. And if anybody in this world should be lion chasers, it should be people that call themselves followers of Christ. You know, if you study Scripture, this is, let me, this is Mark Batterson, he said this, If you study the teachings of Christ, you will realize that learning wasn't his primary goal. His primary goal was unlearning. He was reverse engineering religious minds. Uh, I want to tell you how you do it. Your prayers are more audacious when you are giving more, when you're serving more. When you withheld your tongue and didn't cuss out the person on Highway 169 that more than likely got their driver's license from a Cracker Jack box. And so then you're like, oh, you know what? Mm, I'm spiritual today. God's hearing me today. You know Jesus paid too high of a cost so that you could have access to his Father for you and I to tarry outside his presence. But we do. And you know it's because we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We don't see ourselves as anointed, as holy, as empowered, as strong, as a conqueror, as someone that's taking ground, as someone that's kicking the devil's teeth in. Instead, we see ourselves living in the safety and comforts of convenience instead of being bold and audacious. The only way this happens is we literally have to upgrade our minds. The only way to really upgrade your mind is to download Scripture. The only way to change the way you think that God thinks about you is to spend time and study in prayer. That's the only place it's going to happen. You can have coffee with me five days a week. It ain't going to happen there. You can have coffee with your wife who's always an encourager and building you up. You can... You can you know, you could just live in the same house as her. You probably should. And you can hopefully think she's going to rub off on you and keep encouraging you. The only way you will ever, the only thing that you and I can do to allow ourselves to see you, to see me, how God sees me is by spending time with Him. Do you want to live audaciously? Do you want to chase lions? You're going to have to spend time with God 
in his presence. So you can see yourself as he sees you. And the third thing, write this down. The goal of love is fearlessness. And this is a good scripture in 1 John chapter 4. It says this. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fears. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now I really believe one of the sacred duties as Christians. Is to unlearn the misconception about the fear of God. Is there a healthy fear? Yes, he is the creator of the universe. He is providentially in control of all things. So I can see that. But what I'm talking, I think it's important for us to have a reverence and an awe for who God is. But not an unhealthy fear. If you are a Christian, which means you've given your life to Christ. That means this, that you are now his son and his daughter. The Bible says that you've been adopted into his family. There should be no fear because you've experienced perfect love. And I think this is also one of the sacred duties that we have as parents. Is to teach our children to unlearn fears. The Tulsa Zoo, there's this giant rock. The kids call it a rock. I don't really know. It's like a piece of styrofoam or something. It's huge, okay? And when the... We take them there. We let them climb on top of this rock. And then we would encourage them. I would encourage them to jump off at me. And in the beginning, nobody wants to do that. And I want to say, but I'm your dad. You can trust me. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm, I'm getting offended because you're not jumping to me right now, right? And I wonder if God is not the same way. Would you jump? Would you leap knowing that I'm going to catch you? And instead, we get so worked up and distracted. We don't even allow ourselves to be seen as God sees us. We allow ourselves to not live. in we live in fear. You know, before becoming a Christian, you have one enemy. And that enemy is God. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. Those that are not Christian, those that have not given their heart and life to Jesus, are enemies with God. But the moment you and I give our lives over to Christ, the Bible teaches us we, we get to ante up and we get three new enemies. So now we are sons and daughters of God. We are no longer His enemies. The Bible says that our enemies now turn into the world, ourselves, the flesh, and the devil. Those who become our enemies. And, and this is what happens. We start to believe the lies of the world. We start to believe the thoughts of our flesh instead of what the Bible says about us. We start to buy into the temptation of the devil. We start to say things like this. Well, I would do that if. Or I'll start doing that when. And instead of believing that God has asked us and called us to do things now, we procrastinate them. Because we're selling out to the world, the flesh, and the devil. When we see and when we encounter the radical love of God, I think we should live in a reckless abandonment of His goodness and His faithfulness. This is why the gospel message of salvation and reconciliation to God is so vital to our faith. So when we are chasing lions, when there's something we know God's called us to do, we do it recklessly. 
We do it fearlessly because we know that we're walking with the one who gives us perfect love. And sometimes we have to walk in faith instead of sight. And it's never easy. And sometimes chasing a lion is going to cause that in us. Too many of us pray as if our primary objective is for God to keep us from getting scared. I see that as my children get older, how I shift my prayers. How I start to pray for their safety in a different way. I see that in my own life on how I would much rather God go ahead and lay out about six to ten steps before I take the next one. Instead of saying, I'm going to trust you. This is what you've called me to do. This is what you've anointed me to do. This is the line I'm supposed to chase. So I'm just going to walk out by faith. Maybe not necessarily by sight. Too many of us pray that way. The goal of following Jesus, I don't believe, is the elimination of fear. I think we can live fearlessly. But I think what he does is he comes alongside and gives us strength to conquer whatever it is he's asking us to chase. So maybe we let go of irrational fears. Maybe we understand that we're walking in faith in perfect love. Maybe we start to rethink the way that we think. Lion chasers aren't afraid to do something that other people consider ridiculous. Because they know that anything is possible with God. You know, a a request as big as it might be, really can never be ridiculous to the one who knows no limits. How are you praying? You know, I'm imagining you chasing a lion this year. That's what I'm believing for you. I'm believing that God has some things in your life where He wants you to conquer. I believe that God is going to do some things in your life and in this church that we can't even believe or dream of. And so this is what I will tell you. That means that we might endure some challenging circumstances. And this is what I would ask you to pray. Instead of saying, God, would you get me out of this challenging circumstance? Would you say, hey, let me change the way I see this circumstance? Or what do you want me to learn in this circumstance? Will you believe recklessly in the one who loves you? Maybe prayer is less about changing our circumstances. Maybe prayer is more about changing me. And whatever you go through, whatever you walk through, whatever line when you get in the pit with him and and overtaking him gets hard and challenging, whatever it is that you're working through, don't let what's going wrong in that circumstance change everything that's right about God. Maybe you need to unlearn your fears. Maybe you need to start chasing the lion. I don't know what God is calling you to do in this year. So we start a new year. I don't know what goals he's wanting you to set for yourself. I don't know what line he wants you to chase. But I want you to learn how to do it. So I challenge you over the next few weeks. Man, just to spend time in God's word. When you go to God's word, just say, hey, what do you, how do you see me? He'll speak to me today. And when you're praying, would you pray audaciously? Bold and daring. 
Would you ask God, hey God, what lion do you want me to chase this year? What lion do you want me to tackle? And I think when we realize that we are sons and daughters and that we are in perfect love, and we can overcome anything. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com. 